0: From around the world, this is the Mutual Audio Network.
1: The following audio drama
2: is rated G for general audience. You are listening to the Forgotten News Podcast.
3: But before we begin, here are a few words about a couple of other podcasts that we think you might want to try
4: hi i'm ann rogers and with me is my friend sprightly pool not just friend co-worker assistant confidant sprightly pool here now i have something amazing to tell you i'll start from the beginning back in nineteen forty one through nineteen forty four i had a radio show on nbc called hot copy And when I was doing that, I was a newspaper reporter and a syndicated columnist. Now, just in case you don't know, hot copy is a phrase that is used by newspaper reporters when they write a story that is breaking news, especially big news. And that is why our show was called what it was called. So there were definitely some wild adventures. She's not kidding when she's talking about those wild adventures. But I was there, too. They were our wild adventures i tell you we've been in danger more times than i can count everything from crazy killers to tracking down nazi spies we ended up in some situations that were downright terrifying so true sprightly but near the end of 1944 our show was cancelled due to some conflicting points of view with the sponsor it was too dark and unladylike apparently (laughs) Well. What we're doing now is taking all those stories and bringing them back to life, adapted from the original scripts. That's a feat in itself, as nearly all the old audio is gone. So we're starting out fresh, with some amazing voice actors. In fact, really fresh. Because, believe it or not, somehow, we haven't aged a day. (laughs) Yes, it's true. Our new show is called Hot Copy Radio Theater, and we will be releasing a new episode each month. Listen, download, and subscribe to Hot Copy Radio Theater on Apple Podcasts and probably every other podcast platform that you can shake a stick at. Yes, please be sure to tune in to Hot Copy Radio Theater. New episodes on the 10th of each month.
3: And gentlemen, the Inertianauts have created direct passage beyond space-time.
2: Practice your speech in the mirror like a normal human being.
5: Great. Breakthrough
6: isn't strong enough a word. You have no idea what to expect on the other end.
5: Guys, it's Christmas Eve. Santa's popping down every chimney in the world as we speak. We've got just the one.
6: Ignition.
4: Let the record show, the crew
3: is psyched. I theorized there could be anti-worlds with anti-people.
4: There's literally nothing we could do against a being that wields
2: time
7: like that, and it's still out there.
3: My mercy is running thin.
4: Gifts are gone. Lights home for Christmas are missing. I'm going to ask you one more time. Give us back our Christmas. God Rest G Mary Physicist is a newfangled audio drama production and available everywhere you listen to podcasts.
8: Welcome to the Forgotten News Podcast. This is your window to hear true stories from long ago. Stories that once made headlines. Stories that people thought would be unforgettable. Yet those stories were soon lost in the sands of time, or were buried deep in the dustbin of history. In this podcast, we shake off the sand and dust from those stories and share them here with you, as fresh as the day they were first told.
2: And now, here's your hosts.
3: Hello, everyone. This is Jim.
7: This is Jessica. Thank you for joining us. Hi, this is Kate
2: Karen, And welcome to this special episode of the Forgotten News Podcast, featuring a presentation of the 1939 Campbell Playhouse audio adaptation of the story A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens and starring the voices of Orson Welles and Lionel Barrymore.
3: This is our fifth annual presentation of this awesome audio drama.
7: You will be hearing it on this episode exactly as it was broadcast to the radio audience nationwide on December 24th, 1939.
3: Now, before we move on, we are going to assume that there are some listeners in our audience who have no idea what we are talking about when we mention the Campbell Playhouse. So, we will take a quick minute to explain.
2: The Campbell Playhouse was an audio drama series that ran on the CBS radio network between 1938 and 1940. It was produced and directed by the actor and director Orson Welles, who usually narrated and frequently acted in the stories that were featured.
3: These were live broadcasts, by which we mean the episodes were not pre-recorded. The show created audio dramatizations of classic plays and novels and occasionally adaptations of hit movies of the time period.
7: Before 1938, the show was known as the Mercury Theater of the Air. But that year, 1938, Orson Welles became a household name because of the headlines that were generated by his Halloween episode, featuring an audio drama story about an invasion from mars which apparently was so realistic that it terrified millions of people into believing that it was a news broadcast describing something that was actually happening however in the aftermath of that episode the campbell soup company offered to sponsor and finance the show on the basis of the very smart belief that the number of new listeners would be huge, and this offer was quickly agreed to by Orson Welles and the CBS Network. Well, guess what? The number of new listeners was indeed huge.
3: The sponsorship by the Campbell Soup Company was obviously the reason for the show being renamed the campbell playhouse and just a couple of months later the show created
2: another episode that became an enormous favorite of listeners in december 1938 and again on christmas eve 1939 the show featured an audio dramatization Of the novel A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. It almost immediately became the definitive version of the story as far as spoken word or audio drama. The CBS radio network presented the story each and every year thereafter for decades. And even in the present day, there are many radio stations that broadcast this 1939 episode on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day.
3: Now, speaking of the present day, the late Lionel Barrymore is probably most strongly remembered for his portrayal of the evil banker, Mr. Potter. In the classic Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, which was released in 1947. But prior to then, and probably up until his death in 1954, he was most well known for his performance as Scrooge, which was a role that he played on the radio a total of 17 times.
7: Barrymore loved playing the role. He thought it was his very best work as an actor. In fact, in an interview with the New York Times, he said,
8: Of all the roles I've done, the one I'd most like to be remembered for
7: is Scrooge.
3: I completely agree. However, Unfortunately, because of the top-notch acting of Barrymore and the other performers on the Campbell Playhouse adaptation, Charles Dickens, the man who wrote the story in 1843, is often forgotten. But the Campbell Playhouse audio adaptation is a perfect match for the incredible literary talent of Dickens. Surprisingly... It took
2: Dickens less than a month to write the story, and it became an instant classic.
3: And on this episode of our podcast, we are bringing you that same classic. But just to be clear, this will not be a reading of the novel, this will be an audio dramatization. Of the story
2: in other words you will hear the novel being told in the format of a play
3: but entirely in audio
7: so with all of that having been said just settle in curl up and enjoy
9: of Campbell Soups present The Campbell Playhouse. Orson Welles, producer.
0: Good evening, this is Orson Welles clearly a number of ways in which a christmas carol could be introduced myself i am most struck by the happy fortune that enables us on this christmas eve to present mr lionel barrymore the best loved actor of our time in the world's best loved christmas story a christmas carol when charles dickens presented this little story to the world almost a hundred years ago it found an instant response in the hearts of people everywhere who saw In it, their favorite fictional chronicle of what Christmas is and what Christmas means to all the simple people of the earth. From the day of its first printing, families have been innumerable in which there has remained unbroken the tradition that the reading of a Christmas carol was an item indispensable to a proper observance of the most important of days. It is the American way, as we know, to establish traditions quickly where popular instinct and sentiment pronounce them sound. And so it is that today, actually only the fifth anniversary of Mr. Lionel Barrymore's first playing of the part of Ebenezer Scrooge for the Campbell Playhouse, there is, I think, in all America nothing more eagerly awaited, more firmly rooted in the hearts of the radio family that numbers millions than this yearly performance of A Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol, as Charles Dickens wrote it, has by common consent long been a classic. Mr. Lionel Barrymore's appearance in it is rapidly becoming one. And now, just before A Christmas Carol, Ernest Chapel has a special Christmas greeting from the makers of Campbell's soups. Mr. Chapel?
9: Thank you, Orson Welles. As the old year draws toward its close, we of Campbell's feel a bond of warmth and gratitude toward each of you, our friends. For you see, in homes everywhere throughout the land, Campbell's soups have been welcomed. Day by day and week by week, you have placed confidence in us and in the foods we make. And there isn't anything we appreciate more deeply than the fact that so many of you have elected to let Campbell's make your soups for you. And so when Christmas comes, we look about to find some way to show our appreciation some Christmas present by which to say thank you. The gift we chose five Christmases ago and have chosen each year since has become a part of Christmas to many and many a family. It has become a Christmas custom, as Mr. Wells said, to gather around the radio to hear and to enjoy a Christmas carol. And since it is Christmas Eve, we hope, too, that the younger members of the family are permitted to stay up and listen before dreams and visit of Santa. We get a great deal of pleasure planning and preparing this Christmas gift, and now it's ready. Off come the wrappings. Off come the tags that say, please do not open till Christmas. Out comes the card. To you, from Campbell's. And here is the gift itself.
0: A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. And once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house, a grim, cheerless place if ever there was one. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, Bob Cratchit, who in a cold and dismal little cell beyond worked at his ledgers.
10: To, Merry
1: gentlemen, let nothing you despair 23, 26, 29, 9 carry to on Christmas Day.
10: 11, 13,
11: 17, Bob Bridget! Uh, yes, Mr. Scrooge. Stop that infernal chatter walling. Yes, sir. 9, 15, 17, 29, carry one. singing their idiotic Christmas carols at my very door. <laughs> go on, Get away from my door! Go somewhere else and bellow your blasted carols or I'll give you in charge.
10: Sorry, Governor. It's an old custom at Christmas time, you know.
11: Yes, and I don't want any of your old customs. Take your fellow fools and go away. Christmas. Bleah. Right, sir.
10: Merry Christmas anyway,
11: sir. Bleah. Now, you get that letter from Higgins and Blackthorn, Cratchit, and then I want you to finish posting this ledger, and after that, you can pop over to Fothergill's and tell Ephraim, Fothergill, you've come after the 17 shillings and sixpence he's owed me since Michaelmas. And tell him I shall have a constable over there if he doesn't pay up at once. Uh, Mr. Fothergill's wife has been ill, sir. Oh, what do I care about his wife? I want my seventeen and six. I I just thought it being Christmas, sir. Christmas, Christmas. You mention that word to me once more, Bob Cratchit, and I'll... Merry Christmas, Uncle. Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry
10: Christmas, Mr. Fred. God save
11: you, Uncle. Uh, Humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. (laughs) Now, I'm sure you don't mean that. I mean just that, exactly that, Merry Christmas. What right of you to be merry? What reason have you? You're poor enough. Well, what right have you to be dismal about Christmas, Uncle? You're rich enough. Yeah. Now, Uncle, don't be cross. Well, what else can I be when I live in such a world of fools? What's Christmas to you but a time for paying bills without money? Merry Christmas time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer. If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips would be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He should! Uncle? Now, nephew, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it, Uncle. Well, let me leave it alone, then. What do you want? A Christmas gift, I've no doubt. I came to wish you a Merry Christmas, Uncle. A Merry Christmas. Much good may Christmas do you. <laughs> Much good it ever has done you. There are many things from which I derive good, by which I have not profited materially, I dare say, Uncle. Christmas among the rest. But I have
1: always thought of Christmas time as a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. And therefore, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe it
11: has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it.
10: God bless Christmas!
11: Hurrah! Let me hear another sound out of you there, Bob Cratchit, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. Yes, sir. as to you, nephew, I wonder you don't go into Parliament. You talk enough nonsense. Oh, don't be angry, Uncle. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why can't we be friends? Good afternoon. I'm sorry you feel that way. Well, I've tried. A Merry Christmas to you, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year, too. Ah, humbug. And a
10: Merry Christmas
11: to you, Bob, and the missus, and the Tiny Till. Thank you, Mr. Craig. Same to you, sir. Good day, sir. Good day, Bob. Nonsense. Twaddle. Flummery. The talking of Christmas and not two sixpences to jingle together in his trousers pocket. Hey, you there, Bob Cratchit. Come here. What are you doing there? Uh, only putting a bit more coal in the fire, Mr. Scrooge, seeing it's so cold in there, sir. You put that coal back into the scuttle. A fire. A fire, indeed. I can tell you, if you use coal at that rate, you and I will soon be parting company, Bob Cratchit. Do you understand that? There's many a young fellow like your situation, you know. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. My fingers were getting a little stiff with the cold. Well, then put on your mittens. As someone at the dog. Go on, see your it is. Oh, yes,
12: sir. Good afternoon,
11: sir. Good afternoon. This is the firm of Scrooge and Marley? Yes, sir. I should like to see the head of the firm, if I may. Oh, very good, sir. What is it? A uh, gentleman to see you, Mr. Scrooge. Huh? Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Marley's been dead these seven years tonight. I'm Scrooge. Well, now, Mr. Scrooge, at this season of the year, it's only fitting that we who are more fortunate should raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. You may not believe it, sir, but many thousands are now in want of common necessities. And hundreds of thousands are in want of the simplest comforts. Uh, are there no prisons? Well, there are plenty of prisons, sir. And the workhouses, they're still in operation, I trust? I wish I could say they are not, but they are, sir. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor, then? Both very busy, sir. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. No, sir. All these institutions that you mention are flourishing. But it's nevertheless true that some additional provision for the poor and the destitute must be made. Ah. A few of us upon change are endeavoring to raise such a fund, you see. And uh, what shall I put you down for? Nothing. Oh, I see. You wish to be anonymous, sir. I wish to be let alone. I don't make merry myself at Christmas time... And I can't afford to help make a lot of idle people merry. I help to support the establishments that take care of the poor. They cost enough. Let those who are badly off go there. Many can't go there, sir. And many would rather die. Well, my advice to them is to do so and decrease the surplus population. Besides, I've only your word for it that all this is so. It's the truth, Mr. Scrooge. Well, so be it then. It's not my business. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, sir. I quite understand, Mr. Scrooge. Good afternoon. Show this gentleman out. Yes, sir. Uh, This way, sir, please. Sir, I
1: couldn't help overhearing. I should like to contribute throughce. Thank Thank you. Yes, sir. It isn't much, but it's all I can afford. But there are others in worse situation than I. You're a
0: generous fellow. I
11: wish I might say so of your employer. Cretching! Yes, sir. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, good afternoon. Cretching! Merry Christmas! And Merry Christmas. Yes, sir. Close the door. Yes, sir. <sighs> Twenty-four, thirty-one. One and carry three. New scarlet
1: tippet for tiny Tim. A comb for Martha. Thirty-three, three and carry three. A hair ribbon for
11: Belinda. Four, seven, twelve, fifteen. Magic! Yes, yes, sir. It's too late to have you go to Fothergill's. He'll be closed up for Christmas like these other fools. We may as well close up the place now. Yes, sir. It is getting a little dark. Mm -hmm. Hard to see the figures. I I suppose you'll want the entire day tomorrow. If it's quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient. And it's not fair either. But I suppose I can't do anything about it. Hmm. If I was to stop half a crown of your wages, you'd think yourself very ill-used, I'll be bound. Well, sir, I... Yeah, but you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. It's only once a year, sir. Once a year. Once a year, indeed. A fine excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But I suppose there's no good talking. You must have the whole day. Well, see that you're here all the earlier the next morning. You understand? Oh, I will, sir. I will indeed. Good night, sir, and Merry Christmas. Ah. Merry Christmas. Ah. <laughs>
0: The office was closed in a twinkling and Bob Cratchit with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no greatcoat, went down a slide on Cornhill twenty times in honor of its being Christmas Eve and then ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play with his family at Blind Man's Buff. Scrooge, on the other hand, took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern. Having read all the newspapers and spent the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went to his dismal house. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. The yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, had to grope with his hands through the fog and the frost to find the door. Scrooge walked through his rooms to see that all was right. Sitting room, bedroom, lumber room. All as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa, nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet. Close the door. He locked himself in. He double locked himself in. And took off his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his gruel.
11: Mm -hmm. Marley. Molly? Molly! I could have sworn I saw... Ah! Humbug. Molly's been dead these seven years. Humbug. All oh, humbug. What I need is a good... Hmm. What? What's that? Someone's in the wine, but the door's locked and double locked. Something's, it's, it's coming. Some, something is, it. it's coming closer. Outside my door. Ah, stop. I won't believe it. It's humbug still.
6: Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge.
11: <laughs> Marley. Huh. Oh, no. what do you want with me?
6: I want
11: much of you, Ebenezer. Who? Who are
6: you? Ask me who I
11: was. Oh, you're very particular for a ghost. All right, then. Who were you? In
6: life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Jacob Marley.
11: But you're dead. You died seven years ago.
6: Seven years ago this very night.
11: Are a ghost, then.
6: What's wrong, Ebenezer? Don't you believe
11: in me? I do not.
6: You doubt your senses, Ebenezer?
11: Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. because a little thing affects them. S- slight disorder in the stomach makes them cheats. You can't be a ghost. You may be an undigested bit of beef or a lot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. (laughs) There may be more gravy than grave about you, whatever you are. Ah, humbug, I tell you. Humbug. (laughs) Excuse me, Peter. Excuse me. I do believe in you. You are a ghost, Jacob. Thank you. Why are you... Why do you walk the earth, Jacob? Why do you come to me?
6: It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide to witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth, and turn to happiness.
11: But well, tell me, Jacob, did what is that chain you wear around you?
6: I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard by my own free will. Is its pattern strange to you, Ebenezer?
11: Cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledges and purses. Yours
6: was as heavy and as long as this seven years ago. You have labored on it since, Ebenezer.
11: Oh, Jacob, speak comfort to me, Jacob. Comfort
6: I have none to give. I cannot rest, I cannot stay, I cannot linger. Weary journeys lie before me.
11: You travel fast?
6: Yes, Ebenezer, on the wings of the wind. Seven
11: years dead and traveling all the time?
6: Seven years, Ebenezer. Seven years of remorse. Ebenezer, do you know that no space of regret
11: can make amends for one life's opportunities misused? But you were always a good man of business, Jason. Business. Mankind
6: was my business. Charity, mercy, benevolence. They were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my
11: business. Jacob, Jacob, don't take on so now. Jacob.
6: Listen to me, Ebenezer.
11: I listen to you, Jacob. Go on, Jacob, now. Speak to me, but don't be so flowery.
6: Ebenezer, I am here to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. Do you hear that, Ebenezer?
11: Yes, Jacob. Yes, you always were a good friend to me, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob, but but go on, go on, go on, go on. How shall I escape? Oh, I'm afraid, Jacob.
6: You will be haunted by three spirits.
11: Is that the only chance and hope, Jacob?
6: It is your only chance and hope.
11: Well, Then I think I'd rather not.
6: Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one.
11: Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob?
6: Ebenezer, look that for your own sake you remember what has passed between us. And remember, when the bell tolls one, look for the first spirit.
10: Molly! Jacob Molly!
0: Scrooge awoke. He was lying on his bed, fully dressed. Suddenly the curtains of his bed were drawn aside... and Scrooge found himself face to face... with the unearthly visitor... who drew them as close to it as I am now to you. And I am standing in the spirit at your elbow. It was a strange figure. Like a child. Yet not so like a child as like an old man. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back was white as if with age and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it and the tenderest bloom was on the skin the arms were long and muscular the hands the same as if its hold were of uncommon strength
9: ebenezer scrooge
0: (gasps)
11: who's that ebenezer scrooge i have come for you oh you uh, uh, are you the spirit sir who's coming was foretold me? I am that spirit. <sighs> oh, what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> Long past? No, your past. But oh, what do you want of me? Oh, what brings you here to haunt me? Your welfare, Ebenezer Scrooge. Rise and walk with me.
10: Oh no, 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 no.
11: No, not, not out of the window. I can't do that. I'll, I'll fall down. I'm not a spirit. I'm mortal, and I'll fall. Bear but a touch of my hand upon your heart. And you shall be upheld in more than this. Come. Follow me. <laughs> come of the city? <laughs> There's snow upon the ground. Where are we? These are the shadows of the things that have been. You recognize this countryside? Oh. Oh. I know every inch of it. Every rock, every tree. And that bleak building over there? Oh, that building. I was a boy there. Yes. I went to school in that Horrible place. Do you recollect that path? <laughs> I could walk it blindfold. Strange you should forget it so many years. Come, let us go closer. Look through the window into that cold, barren room. What do you see, Ebenezer Scrooge? I see a boy. A solitary child, neglected by his family, alone. Yes, yes, I see. I know that boy. Oh, oh, I was so lonely. Poor boy. Your lip is trembling, school. And what is that on your cheek? It's nothing. Nothing at all. I wish I... Ah, it's too late now. What's the matter? Nothing, nothing. The waits came to my door singing Christmas carols last night, and there was a boy like that among them. A poor, pale, thin little boy in a ragged coat. I should like to have given him something, that's all. Is that all? Come, Ebenezer Scrooge. Let us see another Christmas. Christmas. Do you know this place, Ebenezer Scrooge? You know it? Know it? Why, this is the counting house where I was apprenticed, listen.
10: <laughs>
11: it's my old master, bless his Old Fezziwig. My master alive again and hosted one of his Christmas parties.
10: (laughs) Eat your (laughs) (laughs) him.
11: Bow and
10: present! Talk through! Thread the needle and back to your places!
11: (laughs) (laughs) And there's Dick Wilkins. Poor Dick. Dear, dear, dear. Yes, and look! There's Mrs. Fezziwig herself, looking younger than any of them. (laughs) And the tables, all loaded with roast and cider and mince pie and beer. Oh, what a jolly time we used to have. That carefree young man with a light heart and the gay smile, do you recognize him? Yes, 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 merciful heaven. How happy I was then. A small matter for old Fezzerwig to make those silly folks so full of joy. Small matter? Small indeed. Isn't it? He has spent only a few pounds of your mortal money. Is that so much that he deserves praise? Ah, it's not that. It's not that, spirit. Old Fezziwig has the power to make us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or heavy. His power lies in words and looks and in things so tiny that it's impossible to count them up. The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a... her. <laughs> what is the matter? Oh, nothing. Nothing at all, Spirit. Something, I think. No, no. Speak. Well, only it's just that I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk, Bob Cratchit. That's all.
10: At last, and retire!
11: My time grows short, and we have yet another journey to make. Where now? Come. This is our last visit to the past Ebenezer. Here, in this little room, with a fair young girl by your side. Do you recognize yourself, Ebenezer? (gasps) No, 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 spare me this. You're older now, a man in the prime of life. Your face has begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. Your eyes are greedy. The eager, restless eyes of a miser. No, no, please. She knows it, too. That girl by your side. There are tears in her eyes.
1: That is little Ebenezer to you. Very little, I know that. Belle, have I changed toward you? When we were engaged, we were both poor. Was it better then, better to be poor? Better at least to be happy. You're changed. You were another man then. I was a boy. Do you blame me because I've grown wiser? Have I ever tried to break our engagement? In words, no, never. In what then? In a changed nature, in an altered spirit in everything that made my love of any value in your sight. So I release you from your promise. Belle! Oh, at first it may cause you pain to lose me, a very brief pain, but soon it will be dim, like a half-remembered dream, an unprofitable dream. And you will be glad to be awake from such a dream. May you be happy in the life you have chosen, Ebenezer, for the love of him you once
11: It's enough. Show me no more. Take me home. These were shadows of the things that have been. That they are what they are, do not blame me. No, no more, no more. One shadow more. Come. Do you see this man, Ebenezer Scrooge? This man might have been you. And the woman beside him, your wife. And that girl. That girl might have been your daughter, Ebenezer Scrooge. She might have called you father. She might have been a springtime in the haggard winter of your life. Spirit, let me go. Show me no more. Listen now while they
6: speak, Ebenezer. Bell, I saw an old friend of yours today.
1: Who was it?
6: Yes. How
1: can I? It's Oh, I know, Mr. Scrooge.
6: Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his
0: office window; it wasn't shuttered, and there was a candle inside, so I couldn't help seeing him. His
11: partner Marley lies at the point of death, I hear, and there Scrooge sat, all alone, quite alone in the world. I do believe. Spirit, spirit, I can't bear any more. Leave me, haunt me no more. Take me back. Take me back.
10: Stephen, when and and even, you
9: are listening to the Campbell Playhouse, bringing you tonight the fifth annual presentation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, produced by Orson Welles and starring Lionel Barrymore as Scrooge. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Bring me this is the WBBM Air Theatre, Wrigley Building, Chicago.
10: When we bear them thither, page and monarch, forth they went, forth they went together, through the rude winds while the and the thither well.
9: And now back to the Campbell Playhouse and our fifth annual presentation of A Christmas Carol. A Christmas present from the makers of Campbell's Suits.
0: On the stroke of one, Scrooge awakened suddenly and sat him bolt upright in his own bed. You remember the words of Marley's ghost and wondered from which direction the second specter would appear. At that moment, nothing between a baby and a rhinoceros would have astonished him very much. Now, being prepared for almost anything, he was not by any means prepared for nothing. And consequently, when no shape appeared, he was taken with a violent fit of trembling. Five minutes, ten minutes, a quarter of an hour went by, yet nothing came. Then, as he sat in his bed, he became aware gradually of a great blaze of ruddy light that seemed to shine upon him from the adjoining room. He got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. It was his own sitting room, no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove. From every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened and such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney as had never been known in Scrooge's time, or for many and many a winter season gone. Heaped up on the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, geese, game, poultries, great joints of meat, sucking pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red hot chestnuts, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. In easy state upon this couch, there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, Who bore a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn and held it up, high up, to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the door.
11: Come in, come in, Ebenezer Scrooge, and know me better, man. Sure, sure. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. You've never seen the like of me before. Sure. You're different from the other spirit. You're tall, almost a giant that great torch you carry. Its life falls into the homes of rich and poor alike. Spirit, take me where you will. Last time I went against my will and learned a lesson which is working now. If you have anything to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe, Ebenezer Scrooge. Touch my robe. Have you brought me, Spirit? an humble dwelling, an humble street. it's miserable, enough. Yet there is happiness there. Who, who are these people? Who's that woman and the children? These are the family of your clerk, Bob Cratchit. Oh. See his wife, dressed in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons, laying the table for their Christmas dinner. And there, assisting her, is her daughter, Belinda, and the young man with a fork in the stuffing. That's Master Peter Cratchit, and the two little Cratchits and Scrooge.
12: Here's Martha, Mother. Martha! God bless your heart alive, Martha, my dear. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, Mother. Merry Christmas. Christmas. How late you are, my dear. Oh, we had a deal of work to finish up last night, and we had to clear away this morning. Well, never mind so long as you're here now. Sit you down before the fire and have a warm. Lord bless you. (laughs) Where's Father? He's been to church with Tiny Tim. They'll be along directly. How is Tiny Tim, Mother? Any better at all? Sometimes I think he is. And sometimes I think, oh, dear God, if anything should happen to Tiny Tim. Mother! You mustn't really even Christ think of Father such a King. thing. Here they are, oh, tiny Tim. Merry oh, Christmas, King everybody. Oh, Martha, Martha,
10: welcome, my dear.
12: Merry oh, dear. Christmas, Father. And Tim. Oh, and Merry Tim. Christmas, Martha. Oh, Tim, you darling. Let me take. Oh, Father, I'm so glad to be home. And we're so glad to have you, Martha. And how did little Tim behave in church, Bob? Oh, as good as gold and better.
10: Oh, I like church, Mother. Oh, they sang the nicest songs. Mm-hmm. I hope people saw me there. Saw you there. And why, Tim? Well, don't you see? Because I'm lame. And if they saw my crutch, it might be pleasant for them to remember on Christmas who it was made lame beggars walk and blind men see.
11: Oh, bless you, my son.
10: Are we ready to eat, Mother? Come on, let Yes, children, we're all ready. Here we come. Come, take your places now. And i wait
12: your turn. There's plenty of stuffing and dressing and plum pudding for all of you. Martha, you take care of Tiny Tim. And see that he eats plenty. He must get strong and well. Now, just sit down. Sit down, everyone.
1: And now, my dears.
11: Shall we say grace? Spirit. Our Father, who are you? Tell me. If Tiny Tim will live, I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. Oh no, 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 no! Kind spirit, say he'll be spared. Say he'll live. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, Ebenezer, the child will die. Amen.
10: And now, my dear, with such a dinner, a toast. A merry
11: Christmas to us all, and God bless us.
10: God bless us, everyone.
11: (laughs) And now
1: to
12: Mr. Scrooge. I'll give you a toast to Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed, who pays you all a 15 shillings a week. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast on, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. Oh, my
1: dear, the children, Christmas
12: Day. It should be Christmas Day, I'm sure, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Bob. Nobody knows it better than you, poor fellow. My dear
6: Christmas Day.
12: I'll drink his health for your sake and the day's, not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. And I say God bless him too, Mother, and everyone.
10: (laughs) God bless you,
0: Was nothing of high mark in all this. They were not a handsome family, these Cratchits. They were not well dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty and had known very likely the insides of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another and contented with the time. And When at last they faded, Scrooge had his eye upon them and especially on Tiny Tim until the last. Many calls Scrooge made that night with a ghost of Christmas present. Down among the miners they went to labor in the bowels of the earth and out to sea among the sailors at their watch, dark, ghostly figures in their several stations. Much they saw and far they went, and many places they visited but always with a happy end. The spirits stood beside sick beds, and they were cheerful. On foreign lands, and they were close at home. By poverty, and it was rich. In almshouse, hospital, and jail, where vain man in his little brief authority had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out, the spirit left his blessing. It was a long night. If it was only a night, And it was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older, clearly older.
11: My life on this globe is very brief, Ebenezer. It ends tonight. Tonight? Tonight at midnight. Hark, the hour has come. Oh, no, no, not yet. Not yet. There are still more things I wish to learn. These you will learn from still another spirit. Still another spirit, Ebenezer.
0: Scrooge looked about him for the ghost that had vanished, and he found himself once more in his bed, in his dressing gown, and his nightcap on his head. He'd heard the clock strike, and then... he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley. And lifting up his eyes, beheld a third spirit, a solemn phantom, shrouded in black, draped and hooded, coming towards him
11: slowly and silently, like a mist along the ground. Ah, I know you. You, you are the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You'll show me the shadows of things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Answer me, spirit, ghost of the future. I fear you more than any specter I've seen. Yet I know your purpose is to do me good, as I hope to live to be another man from what I was. Lead on, lead on, nights waning fast. I'm precious. Spirit. Why have you brought me here again? Here to Bob Cratchit's home? But it's not the same. Why is it so quiet? So very quiet here. <laughs> Mother.
10: Mother, please. Oh, my son. My
1: little son, Tiny Tim. I loved him so, Mother dear, you mustn't. (laughs) It's almost time for Father to be
12: home. Don't let him see you crying. Yes. Yes, Mother. He's late tonight. He walks slower than he used to. And yet I've known him to walk very fast indeed with Tiny Tim on his shoulders. So have I, Mother. But he was light to carry. And his father loved him so that it was no trouble. No trouble at all. Bob.
11: Good evening, my dear. You're
1: late, Bob.
11: Yes, I'm sorry, my dear. I went to the churchyard today. I wish you could have gone with me. It would have done you heart hard good to see how sweet and green a place it is. But you'll see it often, I promised him. Yes, I promised Tiny Tim we'd walk there on a Sunday...
1: Oh, dear, It's God's will, Bob.
11: I'm trying to understand it, my dear. My son. My little son, Tiny Tim. And I loved him so. Oh, that's cruel. Cruel. Spirit. Can't you give me one ray of hope that I may change all that that Tiny Tim may live? street spirit what is it for me to learn here who are those men i don't know much about it either way i only know he's dead where did he die last night i believe it's likely to be a very cheap funeral for palm life i don't know anybody to go to it suppose we make up a party and volunteer i don't mind going if a lunch is provided
10: <laughs>
0: you know come to think of it I'll wait I was his best friend. What? We used to nod to
11: each other when we met in the street. <laughs> Spade, tell me, who is this man that died? Is there no one to mourn the poor creature? No one to follow him to the grave? Perhaps they'll give him a green grave, at least like poor tiny Tim. Perhaps... <laughs> Where are we now? Merciful heaven, a churchyard, overrun by grass and weeds, choked with too much buried, desolate, lonely, crumbling gravestone. Spirit, before I draw nearer to that gravestone, answer me one question. Uh, Are these shadows of things that will be, or or are they shadows of things that may be only? Huh? Will will you not speak to me, spirit? What is that grave to which you point? (coughs) Ah, no. uh There's writing on that stone. The name on the gravestone is... Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge? Oh, no, no, Spirit. No, 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 no. Hear me. I'm not the man I was. Why show me this? If I'm past all hope, tell me that I can change these dreadful shadows you've shown me by an altered life. I'll honor Christmas in my heart. I'll try to keep it all the year. I'll live in the past, the present, and the future. And I'll not shut out the lessons that they teach. Tell me, Spirit. Oh, go on. Tell me. Tell me that I can sponge away the writing on that stone, Spirit. I beg you, Spirit. I beg you. On my knees, I promise, I promise, I'll, I. I
10: oh, watch
11: this. It's my own bed, boss. Oh, I'm home in my own bed, in my own room,
10: and the sun.
11: The sun's shining. It's clear. It's, it's bright. Like no fog. What a beautiful and day. All the oh, glorious.
10: Glorious. The, the boy. Oh, boy. Yes, sir? What?
11: What's the day?
10: What's that, sir? Well, what
11: day is it, my fine fellow?
10: Why, it's Christmas
11: Day! Ha ha! Christmas Day! Then I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. All in one night. Heaven be praised.
10: How's that, sir?
11: (laughs) Listen, my lad. Uh, Do you know where the poulterer is in the next street? I
10: should
11: say I do. Intelligent boy. A remarkable boy. Tell me. Do you know if they sold the prize turkey that was hanging in the window?
10: The one as big as me?
11: (laughs) What a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, my buck?
10: It's hanging there now, sir.
11: That's wonderful. (laughs) Go around, will you? And tell him to send it to Bob Cratchit and his family on Broad Street. And mind you, they're not to know who paid for it. Go along. Hurry, hurry, my lad. Here, wait a minute. Here's half a crown for your trouble. Yes,
10: sir. Yes, sir, and a Merry Christmas, sir. <laughs>
11: and a Merry Christmas to you, my boy. Oh, I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather, as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. Merry Christmas. <laughs> a Merry Christmas to everybody. A Happy New Year to all the world. <laughs> Right, yes, sir. How do you do? I, I beg your pardon. Oh, you, sir. Aren't you the gentleman who came to my office in regard to that charity? Why, yes, sir. A merry Christmas to you. Uh, yes, sir. Allow me to ask your pardon, sir. And will you have the goodness to accept? I prefer to whisper this. But, but, Lord, bless me. My dear Mr. Scrooge, are you serious? If you please, now not a farthing less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. <laughs> will you do me that favor? Oh, my dear sir, I don't know what to say to such munificence. Ah, oh, don't say anything, please. Come and see me. Will you, will you come and see me? I will. I will indeed. <laughs> thank you. I'm much obliged to you. I thank you fifty times. Bless you. Merry Christmas. <laughs>
0: Next morning, Scrooge was early at his office. He went early for a reason. If he could only be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming late. That was the thing he'd set his heart upon. And he did it. Yes, he did. The clock struck nine. No Bob. A quarter past, no Bob. Scrooge sat with his door wide open that he might see him come in. At last he came. His hat was off before he opened the door. His comforter, too. He's on his stool in the jiffy, driving away with his pen as if he were trying to overtake 9 o'clock.
11: And 15 and 21, 6, and carry the 1 and 24, and carry the 2, and 31, and 8 and 9. Hello, and 8 you, 8. Cratchit. Yes, sir. Step this way, Cratchit, if you please. Cratchit, what do you mean by coming in at this time of day? Oh, I'm very sorry, sir. I am behind my time. You are, yes. Yes, I think you are. Oh, it's only once a year, Mr. Scrooge. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. I'll tell you what, my friend. I'll not stand this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, Bob Cratchit, I'm about to raise your salary. Mr. Scrooge, are you quite yourself, sir? No. No, thank heaven. I'm not quite myself. Merry Christmas, Bob. <laughs> Merry Christmas, my good fellow. A merrier Christmas than I've given you in many a year. I shall raise your salary, and we'll see what we can do for tiny Tim and the rest of your family. Huh? Huh? <laughs> Hey, we'll discuss it this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop. Bob, make up fire. Make it up and, and, and buy another cold scuttle before you dart another eye, Bob Cratchit.
0: Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. To Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh, and little heeded them. His own heart laughed. That was quite enough for him.
9: I've just heard our annual presentation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol... starring Lionel Barrymore... brought to you by the makers of Campbell's Soups. And now here is Orson Welles.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, at this point in the program... it's my custom, as you know, to present you with a few words of introduction... our guest of the evening. With your consent, I shall dispense with this tonight. To introduce tonight's guest to the Campbell Playhouse audience... or to any American audience... is an extravagant and superfluous procedure... For if ever an actor has won for himself a lasting place in the hearts of his fellow countrymen through years of unsparing and inspiring service, that actor is Lionel Barrymore. Mr. Lionel
11: Barrymore. Oh, thank you, Orson Welles. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, this is the fourth year I've had the pleasure of appearing in the Christmas Carol here on the Campbell Playhouse And I assure you all, it's a pleasure that never tires. As long as I can remember, this has been one of my favorite stories. When we were children, it was read to us regularly at this time of year, as it is to many millions of children right now. (laughs) And like many of them, I'm sure, the three of us, Ethel, Jack, and I, with the aid of a sheet and some old ironware, made a play of it. As I remember, we had three Scrooges in that production. Uh, Who played Tiny Tim? I think we had three Tiny Tims, too. But seriously, I can think of no part that I've enjoyed playing again and again as much as I have the part of that squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, Ebenezer Scrooge. And I can think of no happier or more suitable choice for the makers of Campbell's Soups to offer the people of America as their Christmas present each year than Charles Dickens' well-beloved story, A Christmas Carol. Good night, Orson. Good night, everybody. And a merry, merry Christmas to you all. Good night to you, Mr.
0: Barrymore. Thank you, sir, and a merry Christmas to you. Ladies and gentlemen, next Sunday night, we're happy to announce our version of a great and truly American story by a great American novelist. Come and get it by Edna Ferber. Against a background of the mighty forests of Miss Ferber's own Wisconsin, it tells a stirring tale of the men and women who live and die in the woods in order that lumber may come down the rivers every spring into the cities of the modern world. Like so many of Miss Ferber's epic romances of American life, it was made from a best-selling novel into a highly successful motion picture. Now we bring it to you on the air. The story of a man and his son and the girl they both loved, Lotta. Lotta, played for us by one of the loveliest and most accomplished of Hollywood's younger dramatic actresses, Miss Francis D. And so until next week, until Come and Get It, my sponsors, the makers of Campbell Soups, and all of us in the Campbell Playhouse remain as always obedient for yours.
9: But just one
0: moment, please, Benny, excuse me. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the night before Christmas. And all through the Campbell Playhouse, not a creature is stirring that doesn't join Lionel Barrymore in wishing you a merry, merry Christmas. This goes for all of us, from my sponsor... Myself, or for all of us, from Don McBain, who runs the machinery in the control room, to Miss Helgren who types the Campbell Playhouse scripts, a Merry Christmas from Benny Herman and his band of merry Melodians. Merry Christmas from Max uh, Tais, canary-throated chorister. A very Merry Christmas, and from Harry Esman and Cliff Thorson and his crew of sound effect technicians. A Merry Christmas. And from Orson Welles and his considerable aggregation of dramatic talent, who include among others Mr. Everett Sloan, Mr. Frank Reddick, Mr. Erskine Sanford, Mr. George Calorus, Mr. Ray Collins, Miss Georgia Backus, Miss B. Benaderet, and many, many others. A merry Christmas! Far about it, everybody? A merry Christmas! Merry
10: Christmas. That's
0: right. And now, as Tiny Tim says,
10: God bless us, everyone. everyone.
9: The makers of Campbell's Soups join Orson Welles in inviting you to be with us in the Campbell Playhouse again next Sunday evening when we bring you Edna Ferber's Come and Get It with Miss Frances D as our guest. Meanwhile, if you have enjoyed our fifth annual presentation of A Christmas Carol, won't you tell your grocer so this week when you order Campbell's Soups? This is Ernest Chappell saying thank you and a very merry Christmas to you all.
2: Hello again, listeners. We hope you enjoyed this special presentation of the 1939 radio dramatization of the story A Christmas Carol by
3: Charles Dickens. It's an awesome story, and it was truly performed to perfection in this radio adaptation.
7: We have no doubt that Charles Dickens would have loved this dramatization had he lived long enough to be able to hear it. And,
3: by the way, this story was not the only thing that Dickens wrote that had a Christmas theme. He wrote quite a few, and they all had... An important Christmas message. For example, in one story Dickens made some insightful observations in regard to the celebration of the Christmas season.
7: And now we are going to share those thoughts since they contain some excellent advice for everyone who celebrates Christmas.
8: who can be insensible to the outpourings of good feeling and the honest interchange of affectionate attachment which abound at this season of the year there seems a magic in the very name of christmas petty jealousies and discords are forgotten social feelings are awakened kindly hearts that have yearned towards each other but have been withheld by false notions of pride and self-dignity are again reunited and all is kindness and benevolence do not select the merriest of days for your doleful recollections but draw your chair near the blazing fire fill your glass and send round the song and if your room is smaller than it was a dozen years ago or if your glass is filled with punch instead of sparkling wine put a good face on the matter drink it and fill another and sing the old songs that you used to sing, and thank God that it's no worse."
7: Listeners. I was very moved by this quote. I think it's great advice. It's a nice reminder of what Christmas is really all about. So I think I'm going to try to change my attitude for this Christmas. Um, I know for a lot of folks, myself included, it is a stressful time of the year. And we don't take the time to pause and be grateful for what we have and actually enjoy the day. So I'm going to work on that.
3: I also really like that quote from Dickens. It truly sums up everything about the spirit and celebration of Christmas. And for me, it brings to mind another quote that I really like from a man named G.K. Chesterton, who was a famous journalist and social commentator in the early 20th century. And this is what he said.
5: If ever a faith is firmly grounded again, it will be, at least, interesting to notice those few things that have bridged the gulf, that stood firm when faith was lost, and were still standing when it was found again. Of these really interesting things, one, in all probability, will be the celebration of Christmas. Of course, it is covered up, like every other living thing with a sort of moss of convention, and the unmeaning use of words. Now, there is nothing really wrong with the whole modern world, except that it does not fit in with Christmas. But the modern world will have to fit in with Christmas, or die. The real basis of life is not scientific. The strongest basis of life is sentimental. People are not Economically obliged to live, anybody can die for nothing. People romantically desire to live, especially at Christmas.
3: I really can't add to that, other than to encourage all of our listeners to have as happy a Christmas as you possibly can. Happy
2: holidays, everybody. Thank you so much for listening for another year. I cannot believe that we have already reached the holiday season and we are about to enter the new year, but enjoy your Christmas, your Kwanzaa, your Hanukkah, anything that you celebrate. I know it's going to be amazing Um, if you're going to be with your family, your friends, or even by yourself. Just enjoy the holiday season, and next year is going to be amazing. Um, just remember that. Guys, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa. We really appreciate each and every one of you. Happy holidays, guys.
3: Yes, yes, yes.
7: And now, listeners, before we move on, we definitely want to give an enormous thank you to our wonderful guest narrator for the Dickens quote. So, take a bow and tell our listeners anything that you want to say about yourself.
8: From our house to yours... The best wishes for the holiday season. This is Jerry Kokich. Contact me at jerrykokichvoiceactor.weebly.com And you'll be sure to have a Merry Christmas.
7: Jerry, that was a terrific narration. Thank you.
3: Jerry, that was just beautiful. Many, many thanks.
7: Thank you
2: so much, Jerry, for all that you do. You are absolutely amazing, and we appreciate each and every time you help us out.
3: We also want to thank Pete Lutz of the amazing audio drama podcast, The Narada Radio Company, for his wonderful reading of the quote by Lionel Barrymore from his New York Times interview. Excellent job. Thank you so much. Great job, Pete. Finally, we will thank Logan Smith for his beautiful reading of the quote from G.K. Chesterton.
2: Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you.
3: Thank you, Logan.
2: Now, listeners... Just to make sure that you know, because this is a special episode of the podcast, there will be no police blotter segment, and no recommendation segment. Sorry about that.
3: Especially since we know that some of you really look forward to them.
2: Now, if you have any comments, questions, or other thoughts about this episode, or any other episode, or the podcast in general, please send an email to Forgotten News podcast at gmail.com. And speaking of this episode, I think that is pretty much everything.
7: Except for one last thing. We have a very special gift for our listeners. And here it is. We are not going to ask you to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review.
3: And that's not all. Believe it or not, we are not going to ask you to do anything at all. Except have a very merry and safe holiday season.
2: And with all of that having been
7: said,
3: Goodbye, everyone.
7: Thank you so much for listening. Merry Christmas.
3: Merry Christmas.
7: Merry
2: Christmas. And remember, if you want to shorten winter, prolong Christmas.
11: everybody a happy new year to all the world
8: thank you for listening to the forgotten news podcast you will now be returned back to the present day and we hope that we can count on you to join us for our next episode
2: most important lesson in the present day that we learn from the story of Scrooge is that being a good person still matters
3: Merry Christmas.
2: Happy New Year. And speaking of the New Year, we want to apologize for the fact that we have been kind of inconsistent as far as creating and releasing episodes this year. We will try to do better next year. Starting with January when our next new episode will be released.
13: Hi, my name is Tracy Babian, co author of the Carlson Chronicles podcast. My husband J.A. Babian, the main author, had a triple stroke in the latter part of August of this year. Jerry was lifelighted to Tulsa, Oklahoma, with a brain bleed that the doctors thought they were going to have to do surgery on him, which surely would have killed him. Thank the Lord, they didn't. He survived that brain bleed and swelling, but he is in need of so much for his recovery. I have started a GoFundMe to help with all the costs that I just don't have. I retired back in April of this year so that I could take care of Jerry as he was starting to show signs then that I just didn't catch. Little did I know this would be a blessing in disguise. He is fighting this setback of memory loss and 75% use of his right leg, arm, along with his cognitive speech. Considering the doctor said he would not make it, I consider him to be a miracle. Medicare has only granted 12 visits of physical and speech therapy twice a week. He needs at least six months' worth of speech therapy alone. That is a total of $4,000 we need to pay up front that I just don't have. So far, we have had $775 in donations of the $10,000 we need come in. Please donate today so that he can get his needed medication, therapy, and also help pay bills at Medicare just will not cover, even if it's only $5. I update this account so folks can see his progress. You can go to my Facebook account, Tracy Babian VO, to find the pinned link with the title, Jerry Babian Stroke Victim Needs. Jerry says, thank you. I still have a lot to write on my stories that I want to get done. Please help me to achieve that goal. Thank you in advance for your donation. Tracy Babian